on, right? They don't just buy the car at the Joe's dealership on the corner because that's where my daddy bought his cars and we always buy cars from them. Yep. It doesn't happen anymore, mm -hmm. right? If they come back and buy a car from you, it's going to, because, going to be because they, got, they felt like they got a good deal. They felt like you took care of them during the process. Mm -hmm. You made it easy. You didn't try to browbeat them too hard. You had a good service over the life of the car. It's the things that, that they can prove and that they can see. It's not just based on this is how I always did it. Um, especially with you know the internet being the vast majority of everybody's research, they're not starting at a particular dealership. They're just looking more broadly. So it's really, it's much more um, of an onus on the dealer to, to provide that great experience from the beginning through the entire life cycle if you wanna win them back. For freshly brewed discussion on automotive sales and marketing, this is Coffee with Jason. The Coffee with Jason podcast is sponsored by Closers Coffee. For that full-bodied, rich, sweet flavor with a bright acidity. Drink Closers Coffee, stay caffeinated, and keep on closing. Find out more at closerscoffee.ca. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, jam with me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, to get this started, just so we have a little bit of context out there for the people that are listening right now. Um, if you can give us just kind of that two-minute origin story that is Jeremy from Car Gurus, kind of how you got started with Car Gurus and how in the world did you decide to get into automotive? <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's, um, it's a story that starts with being a writer who got technology. I, when I first entered marketing, I was working at Lotus Development Corporation back in the 90s, way back in the day. And back then, there was a team creating a website for the company, B2B sales. Mm -hmm. And they realized after they hired some tech, some architects and some designers that they also needed somebody to write the content. So I wound up there and I started my career with Lotus. I've bounced around from tech startup to tech startup since then. Um, I've been at other lead gen companies. I've sort of moved up in organizations and become now the content strategist at Card Gurus. Um, my last stop before this was at a mobile ad tech company called Fixu. Um, that was a great company. I learned a ton there. And if you want to learn sort of cutting edge marketing technology, mobile is the place to be. There's things you can do with mobile that you can't do anywhere else. Some yes. of them are a little <laughs> scary. Um, but then that opportunity petered out and I came to Cargurus about two years ago. I became the senior content strategist here, which basically means not just writing the words that go on the page, but thinking about how do we talk to dealers? What are the messages? What are the big topics we should be covering? Um, and then leading a team here of the people who produce that content. So it's been super interesting. I think automotive has been fascinating to get into. This is relatively new for me. I mean, I drive cars. I've driven cars for a lot of my life, but I bought a couple. But um, the relationship between dealers and consumers and being able to dig into that and help dealers get better at digital marketing has been a great opportunity. Now, so how long have you been with CarGurus? Uh, it's going to be two years in a couple of weeks. Okay. So, you know, two years now kind of getting into automotive. I'm just kind of curious, what would be the three things that you're pleasantly surprised about? Maybe, or maybe a couple things that you were like, whoa, what's going on? Interesting. Uh, let's see. Pleasant surprises are the position that CarGurus is in, in the industry gives us a ton of data. Mm -hmm. One of the things I learned at Fixu was we, the power of data for marketing and because we work with so many people in the US and a growing number in Canada, we have a ton of data about how people are actually shopping on our site and then we can turn that into content. So having that resource is huge as a marketer. Uh, being able to look at, 
um, how many people, how many pictures do people click on and how many leads do they submit and what words get their attention? Things like that um, has been really rewarding, I think, being able to, to work with that kind of data. Um, other pleasant surprises in automotive, let me see. I think the, the pace of change is fun because there is so much new stuff. Yeah. And I can tie that to the, the negative that jumps to mind, which is <laughs> a resistance, let's say, among a lot of dealers to, to change. There are so many dealers who are eager to learn and try the next new thing and um, expand their repertoire of digital tools, but that's sort of offset by some dealers who really want things to remain the same. And they think they're doing well now. Maybe they are doing well now, Yep. Um, but they're, they're resistant to change. And so that's, that's a barrier that, that I've come across. It's not news to you, probably. What? Wait a minute. Yeah, right. Does the industry resist changing? Come on. No way. Mm-hmm. Literally yesterday, I was, I was talking to a dealership how they still need to put inventory on their website. It's 2019. Oh, and I was website? What? Why would I have inventory on my website? <laughs> Somebody might find it there. Yeah. And someone might want to actually engage with it and ask a question about it. Like, holy crap. <laughs> But I actually think that's probably a great place for us to kind of kick in there. You know, um, you know, I love the fact that you're focused on content and your your focus on content is so data driven. And I think for a lot of uh, marketers out there in that automotive space, I, I think for you know for dealer principals and for marketers, there's still some confusion about what's data driven content versus content that we think people actually give a shit about. Uh, it can be. I mean, from a dealer point of view, right? There's one factor that gets people in the door, and that's do you have the car they want at the right price? That's not data driven. That's that's purely it's the content and the product at the same time. Yep. So that's easy, and that goes back to your point. Yes, get your inventory online so people can find it. Um, but sort of in a broader context, I think using data to create content is different than just spitting out a lot of data. Yep. Um, you know, we can generate lots of lists from our data, a list of which models of, I don't know, Ford F-150s got the most, which trim levels of F-150s get the most searches on car gurus. Mm -hmm. That's a little interesting, but it's not really going to change somebody's strategy. You're not going to suddenly go out and buy only one kind of F-150s. Um, what's more interesting is how is that changing over time or what demographics prefer different, different, uh, packages or, um, how long does it take somebody to buy a truck? Sort of turning the data into something that somebody can act on is where it goes from just data for data's sake to content marketing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, so that's what we try to do. And some of that is um, sort of this nitty gritty stuff that I'm talking about right now, but some of it's a lot more, a lot higher level. Like what, how do people search today? How do people start their shopping journey? What channels do they use as they're, as they're going through the, the process? And a lot of that we can get through external research. That's not necessarily something we can dig out of our own data. And that's another big chunk of what I do here is let's look at all the research. Let's do some of our own. Let's look at other um, studies in the auto industry. Let's look at studies outside the auto industry for where the, where the market is going and then synthesize that information into something that matters to dealers. Hundred percent. You know, it's not that we just we, we don't want to get to the point where we're creating content for the sake of creating content, but we're creating content because we have really have kind of a goal and objective in mind, right? Yeah. Um, you know, for as as far as an industry kind of industry wide, and I would say both Canada and the U.S., you know, we still fall into this space where in our marketing efforts, we just 
we're pushing ads. We're not necessarily developing strategies. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Well, a couple things. One is when you look at the shopping journey and you see how long it takes somebody to buy a car, mm-hmm. um, there is some value in just having ads in as many places as possible. Sure, of course. Right? There's always value in that. But um, in terms of you know, not just, not just saturating, um, looking at the performance of different channels and different types of ads in detail is a step that I think a lot of dealers miss out on. They know that say, okay, my, my paid search, my SEM program gives me X percent ROI, it's positive, I'm happy with that. And my CPC goes up, my CPC goes down, I'll make some tweaks, but they're not looking the next level deeper to really understand which ads are working. And specifically, is it the photos in those ads that are different? Is it the specific keywords that you're targeting? Is it the language of the ad itself? Uh, is it the callouts, the extra the sort of extras you can put in? Mm-hmm. And going also, into that, also who, who else is looking at it? Like what kind of individuals looking at it? Yep, exactly. Who's, who, who is clicking on it. And then if you can get at who's not clicking on it, which is harder to get at. <laughs> um, yeah. And looking at all that is going to let you sort of understand how the content is impacting those marketing uh, programs that you're running. And I, I think it's hugely important. That's something that sort of a internal focused pleasant surprise but when I got here, I think the, the marketing team here does an incredible job of looking at our channels in a really granular, performance-oriented way in terms of, of the advertising that we're doing. Okay, yes, which are getting the, which are getting the most engagement? Okay, which of those are leading to the, to, the, to the biggest deals or to the deals with the kind of dealers that, we're, that we really want to connect with? Um, is it, you know, testing colors and testing different calls to action? Yes. All the things you can do to really hone in on, on what's working, um, the team here does a really good job of. And that's, I love it because I can just produce the content and let them test the, the details and make it work better. Uh, <laughs> but it comes, out, it comes out really well and it's really effective. And that's one that, it's funny being a, a marketer, um, it's funny being a marketer for ourselves and then telling dealers how to do their marketing, right? But this is one area that I feel like dealers a lot of times don't go quite as deep as they should in yes. terms of measuring the, the specifics, not just the top level, the next level down to really understand what's working and what's bringing customers in the door. Well, and I think what it is, is that we're just so fast to make a piece of creative. You know, it's like we, we'll skip the first part. In fact, we'll almost skip the entire strategy portion of it. And we'll go just to the point of just making the creative for the sake of doing so. And, but that's not obviously the power or the strength that is digital marketing. There's just so much data there telling you what content you should be making, but also who you should be making that content for, right? And how right. they're engaging with that content. You know, if, um, I mean, look, if, if I'm selling minivans, you know, there's very, a very specific targeted audience, you know, which I would fall into that category. I do drive a minivan. I'm in my minivan years. Three kids, you know, under the age of seven, trying to, there's still some car seats involved. Damn it, I still got to drive a stupid minivan. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, we have, we've got the Mazda 5 in our driveway. See, it's just we're, we're in that category, right? So we Where fall we into that as an audience, right? Right. But, but looking at your ads and how those are engaging with those audience, because you know those are the people that are going to buy it, right? Yeah. Then making, you're letting that creative kind of get defined by that audience. Instead, we're just making creative kind of a one size fits all and just say like, here's an ad, you know, it's appropriate for every single person out there. And, you know, that's, it isn't, it, it really isn't. And it can be something as changing the color, like you said. 
yeah. uh, changing the text within it. It's also something where it's, you go back a step again, it's uh, matching the right channel to the demographics you're mm. after as well. 100% too. Yep. Like, are you trying to build up? Okay, so it's hard to sell cars to millennials, right? All right. Well, that's what everyone says. <laughs> that's what they say. It's not as hard as people thought at first. It seems it's just I agree. they're getting to cars later in life than, than some other age groups. But if you're doing that, then you've got to understand that um, that Facebook spend that you're doing, you're going to have to amp that up, right? Or your Instagram ads probably more than Facebook. I take that back. Millennials, too, too cool for Facebook. But well, I think for, the other thing, too, is we're saying millennials. We should actually define how old a millennial is because I still think I know, people, like, they're not as young as they thought. They're fucking old. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, what's a millennial? Is it, start at, is it 35 or 38? I, I think it is. I think it's something like that, right? Yeah, 38 or stuff. So. Yeah. I, I mean, it, like, it's 30, he's 38 years old. Like, they're not. The youngest young. ones are like 25 or something. And they're, the youngest, youngest ones are getting out of college. Exactly. If we, look at, if we look at the top level of millennials, I mean, they have careers and they have jobs. And, you know, in our cases, they have families. I mean, right? yeah. So they're also, the thing about that is we, some research that we did into buyers recently showed us that a lot of the millennial car purchases right now are being driven by, by life events. It's not a lifestyle choice. Like, exactly. hey, I want a new car. It's, I need to be able to fit two car seats in the back. Um, or I just bought a house in the suburbs and I can't just take the public transportation all the time anymore. I need a, I need a car. Um, and so those sort of life events are catching up with them quickly. So they're definitely transitioning to be, be more of a, of a car buying audience than they used to be. 100%, 100%. I think what it is is that, and I hate to say this, but it's, um, you know, we fall into the category agency, but honestly, I think agency is a dirty word. I don't get along with majority of agencies out there. You know, they have a tendency yeah. to do a lot of talking, not a lot of action. Um, but but we we kind of used it as like a, a like a block, like oh, like almost. Kinda, we love doing this in the agency world, right? We'll come up with shit, um, but we're the only ones that know how to fix it. You know, it's like so. It's like, hey, you want to sell cars to millennials? Well, we can help you do that. Well, there's no secret to it. Like you said, it's just because they're getting older. They're moving into different life places. They, they, they've graduated from college. You know, now that they're not in their university dorm anymore, right? Now, now they got a job, you know, but the job is, you know, 40 miles away from where they're currently living and they're going to need some type of, you know, vehicle that's going to allow them to commute or they're getting married or they're having kids and so on and so forth, right? Exactly. exactly. And so understanding that is going to change the content. It's going to change what you put in those ads. It's going to change where you advertise. They are, even though they're getting older, they're still way more likely to be on social than, than other demographics. So maybe that's a chance for you to up your social ads. Um, and yeah, and understanding that and how to adjust is, is really important. It's not, it's not one size fits all. Well, it, the cool thing is making the data tell you that. So there are two words that when I'm in a meeting, I just, the second I hear them, I cringe. I have to bite my tongue. I have to look the other way because a four letter word is about to come out of my mouth. Um, and it's, I think, or I feel, and I'm sorry, but those statements have nothing to do with marketing. If we're talking about marketing, there is no, I think there's no, I feel because guess what? The market doesn't give a shit about what you think a network is good for you or not. They don't give a fine fuck that if you feel that Instagram isn't your audience, you know, like it, it right. doesn't care because the data is there, right? Right. And it's also <laughs> even more than just, it's not just what you think. You can't necessarily trust what somebody else's data says. In a lot 100%. of these situations, your particular dealership, you might have a slightly different niche 
that works in one channel, it doesn't work for the guy across the street. Yes. It's, it, this is, again, where you have to test. Yes, you're going to get ideas from, up, from general data, from the kind of stuff that I put out, right? The general sure. data that we put out is going to give you directional information. But these are still areas that every dealership needs to test for themselves. Maybe because of your logo, maybe you have a more fun tone. You should be more of a jokey ad, say. And some other dealership is more of a, like, buttoned up and we're serious car people and then you have to have a different tone, say. Just an example. But whatever it is, you're going to have to figure that out for yourself and, and really test and see what works. Let the data tell you, like you were saying. Defining who you are as a brand. You know, here's, here's the thing yeah. I, I find interesting when it comes to word branding. And dealerships said there's a lot of confusion about this. They think it's something they buy you know, yeah. or, or it's something that they create. And what they don't realize is that they already have a brand. See, see the, yeah. the brand is what your consumer thinks of you, how they perceive you. There's your brand, all right? right. You might have an idea how you, you think your, your customer perceives you, all right, and thinks of you. But in reality, this is what they think of you and perceive of you. And regardless if you agree with it or disagree with it, that's your freaking brand. <laughs> right. We talk about it as you can't, you can't create your brand. You can influence it. You can yes. change it. You, 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 and you absolutely should. But it's not something you can just take a piece of paper and write it down, present it to the world and say, here's our brand. Everybody should understand this now as our brand. Thank you. Good night. It doesn't, and, it doesn't and, work that way. And the reason we're talking about branding is because that's what gives that, and kind of going back to what we're talking about with the content, is it yeah. gives the content that flavor, right? Yeah. It's that little spice on top, you know? Is it that more professional brand? Is it more of that senior brand? Is it more of that crazy Jones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's, it's more Whatever of that fun-loving you know, El Patron yep. brand, uh, he's going to like it because I literally just gave him a plug right now. Um. <laughs> um, one of the things about brand that we see though is that's hard. Even people who have a good sense of their sort of top level brand and maybe it's, uh, they do a really good job in say TV ads where they, where they think about it a lot. It's hard to carry it through all your other digital channels and make sure that you have a consistent brand in good your point. Facebook page and in your um, your dealer website and in any ads that you run online, it, you can't make a, a tweet say, or, or a, a base a small digital ad have a lot of the same tone as a TV ad, right? It's not the same no. capacity for content, but they have to be related. You have to have that same conversational approach and use the same, the same logo and the same colors and have consistency across them all. And that way the consumer who's interacting with your brand in all different places um, is going to recognize that continuity. And that's hard for a lot of dealerships because those campaigns are being run by different people a lot of the times. So yep. somebody, they're not going to reuse assets like images and copy and photos. They're not going to reuse the stuff as well as they can. And it's, it's not planned from the beginning. So you wind up with this sort of disconnected experience and you lose out on some of the power of a brand if you're not being consistent. So that's, that's one I... I'm glad we got to this point because that's one that I've talked about before that really does um, seem like a missed opportunity for a lot of dealerships. And it's one that you can see in dealerships who are killing it in digital marketing. You, you can see that consistency. And you can see that when they started this campaign, they didn't say, okay, let's go write some paid search ads. And then, okay, now let's go, let's go film that TV commercial. <laughs> no, they started with our, our spring campaigns are going to be run in these places. Here's the main message. Here's the main imagery we're going to use. And they started planning it in a broad sense and then applied it to each of those different channels, each of those different mediums that the ads are going to run in. And that consistency shines through. 
And, and here's, the re- here's why I think dealerships never get to that stage is because still today, and I find this true both in Canada or across the border in the US, mm-hmm. is that they still are looking at their marketing efforts as a sprint and not a marathon. Yep. And it, it, it's a race. It, it's a race from the beginning of the month to the end of the month. So therefore, any marketing message that's not going to support this 30 days goal and objective, I'm not going to even bother doing anything with it. Right. Right. No, it, that, that's absolutely true. We see that. We see that a lot. And what you wind up is missing out on, you wind up missing out on things like um, promoting service and sort of back end that you want to build a long-term relationship with someone. That's you know, selling somebody their next car is also part of your planning, right? And a great relationship and services or building up your, your reputation isn't going to sell them the first car necessarily, but there's, there's value in it. It's just even harder to measure. Um, but yeah, being able to sort of plan for the long term is, is important and, and really hard given the, the challenges of, of a monthly sales goal, given the uh, business environment, things start to slow down a little bit. You can't be thinking about spending money on long-term stuff when you just have to hit this month's goals and, uh, and you know, the forecast is down. So it, it is a huge challenge. And like you said, that's not limited to the U S or Canada. We definitely see that everywhere that we, uh, that we operate. So you can, we, we, as you can see, as we're going through this, we're starting to kind of, de- uh, uh, define what kind of these steps are, right. We've kind of talked earlier, you know, being step one is really understand those analytics for your dealership, right? Let those analytics start to speak to you. All right. Start to understand who your audience is. In fact, I would encourage dealerships um, to spend twice as much time on audience development than creative. What could you define really truly define who that audience is and then let that, and then let that audience define what the creative is going to be. Right. Um, And and then of course the other thing too is this, this can't be a sprint. This has got to be a marathon. Right. Right. I mean, we, we have to create strategies. We got to stop running ads. And but if we're always thinking just in that 30 day cycle, all we ever end up running is an ad. We don't actually ever get to the point because we're running in a 30 day cycle. I mean, how much, how much of a strategy can you actually develop in a 30 day window? Right. Not much. And And it doesn't mean some people, some people can think that this means, I'm going to map out my whole year's worth of ads. No, you're not getting into the details for your yes. entire strategy, right? What about the foundational right? stuff. Foundational stuff. What are the what are the the three or four biggest sales pushes we're going to make this year? Is it, mm. um, you know, Canada Day? Is it the new new model release time? Whatever it is, knowing those in advance doesn't mean you're writing the ads that are going to support that that time of year in in the winter, but um, being able to just see where you're going. Mm-hmm. And as you have the details for the close stuff and the, the vision for the longer, for the further off stuff, um, lets you keep driving them the right direction, so to speak. And if we take the time to define our brand, then like you said, we can let that, that brand, that brand message flow into every single piece of creative, right? Right. Like right. If, if we're putting creative out there right now that has no branding to it, like we're really kind of losing out on a huge amount of opportunity. You know, because what it is, is then the story, the only story that someone can consume is the story of the product and the price. That's it. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole nother story that needs to be told. You know, I mean, as consumers, I mean, you're a consumer, I'm a consumer, we all consume, right? We're consuming the story before we consume the product. But if the dealerships out there are only giving us that, that, that one sided story of product and price, and we got nothing else to go off of. 
I don't know, what, what does the consumer have to choose from, right? Right. And even when, even when the product and price is what's getting them to click or call or visit sure. the first time, yep. they're also experiencing the rest of your brand. Yes. So maybe, maybe that brand stuff isn't the, it's not the bait. It's not what's getting them to, to interact, to engage. Right. But it's the stickiness. But happening. It's yes. and, and when they come, when it comes to decision-making time, that's when those things subconsciously or consciously are going to accumulate in that consumer's mind. Oh yeah, I liked those guys, or they seem trustworthy, or whatever, whatever their particular trigger is, you will have had that sort of building up while they went through their, their first level price and, price and product decisions. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately though, when I, I think when dealerships, when they think of brand, they literally get about as far as we're family owned. And then, then, then it all kind of stops there. And guys, I know I'm going to get some comments about this and some of you guys are going to get pissed off about this listening to this, but this is for a message for all you dealerships out there. No one fucking cares that you're family owned. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. I know. I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the grunt end of that. And, and, and not in the sense, it's just, it's just those words, right? Look, at one point in time, all right, there was some perceived value in the words of being family owned, you know, uh, and, and I think that probably ended sometime in the eighties and nineties, you know, it's just, there was a difference. There was a dip, there was a defined difference in service between a family owned business and a big box business. Right. But you know, I mean, some of the industries right now have the most amazing service are the largest companies in the world. Right. right. Amazon has right. phenomenal service. I mean, better service than I would say majority of small, small mom pop places that I deal with. So that's, that's no longer a factor. What it is, is I think dealerships have to define what does it mean to them to be family owned? Like, what does that mean? Does, does that mean you guys, you know, you, you treat people like family? And if that's the case, what does that actually look like? How do we actually define that? You yep. know, so it's, it's deep diving into it. But once we find that brand, we can include all of that, right? Right. It, it's true. And it's also another sort of part of that why people don't care about things like that anymore is this sort of the change in uh, relationships where people don't come back to buy their next car because they were happy anymore, not nearly as often, right? They don't just buy the car at the Joe's dealership on the corner because that's where my daddy bought his cars and we always buy cars from them. Yep. It doesn't happen anymore, mm -hmm. right? If they come back and buy a car from you, it's going to be because, going to be because they, got, they felt like they got a good deal they felt like you took care of them during the process. Mm -hmm. You made it easy. You didn't try to browbeat them too hard. You had a good service over the life of the car. It's the things that, that they can prove and that they can see. It's not just based on this is how I always did it, um, especially with you know, the internet being the vast majority of everybody's research. They're not starting at a particular dealership. They're just looking more broadly. So it's really, it's much more um, of an onus on the dealer to, to provide that great experience from the beginning through the entire life cycle if you want to win them back as opposed to just having this automatic repeat customer because their family and your family are, are friends. So it, exactly. And, and the cool thing is that we can build more perceived value within our inventory if we really define what that brand story is because it brings some value. There's perception of value in that brand story, right? Yep. Um, but, but we're not taking the time to do that. We're still relying on the inventory being the story. And right. the bottom line is, you know, especially in, let's say um, where I'm sitting right now, I'm in the GTAs and you know, there's the used car, the, the used car industry here in the GTA in the greater Toronto area is huge. You yeah. know, if, if right now, if I mean just within 
I would say less than 10 minute drive of me. All right. Mm -hmm. There's probably over 150 pre-owned civics that I could go find. Right. 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 I mean, ju just within a 35 drive minute of me, there are a no 14 Nissan dealerships I can visit within, within that time frame. Like, like seriously, it, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Right. right. So it, in no way or form is, you know, location and no way or form is the, the price and the product really going to be that differing factor because I mean, these guys right. are all within, I mean, they're, they're so close. I mean, on the use side, the new side, it doesn't make a difference. Right. Yeah. We have to find what that, what that next factor is. And that's going to be in their brand. That's true. We also see, Sometimes we get feedback from dealers that uh, consumers are too concerned about getting the absolute lowest price. We don't want to be a race to the bottom is the phrase, right? And what we say is when we look at the data on our site, um, the deals, the leads that come into a car gurus, right, are about equally split between leads that come in on great deals, leads that come in on our good deals, and leads that come in on fair deals. Uh, it's roughly equal numbers. Oh, that's a really interesting point that we should really, yeah, that's a great one to so, highlight. We see that as consumers are, they love deal ratings. They think that's really important, but what they're looking for is validation. They're just trying to make sure they're not getting ripped off, right? And we, consumers tell us this in, in direct feedback sometimes. They say things like, well, why did you use car gurus? Didn't want to get ripped off. Didn't want to get hosed. Didn't, you know, they have all kinds of creative ways of saying it. But um, just that sort of, like you said, if there's a 1,500 Civics and one is $100 cheaper than the other one, but the first one, the more expensive one, seems like that dealer has a better story to them, seems more trustworthy. They're yep. not going to try to save $100. They would much rather go to that dealer that seems more trustworthy. It seems like somebody they would like to work with um, and submit a lead there, buy a car there. So that's, again, that brand comes into play when the pricing differences, especially in an area like, like Toronto, or the pricing differences aren't going to make as big a deal. Well, I think what it is, is, you know, we've talked about so far about, you know, really digesting those analytics, you know, understanding who your audience is, right? Can it, you know, making creative that's for that audience and how, and how we can better our creative by understanding our audience, you know, and then also, you know, differentiating, dif different, guys, how do I say it? I always say it wrong. Differentiate. differentiate. I, I, make up, I actually make up words on a regular basis, by the way. Oh. Differentiate. Um, <laughs> differentiate ourselves through the message or through the story of our brand, not necessarily rely on the product and the price being that differentiating. Dif, dif, what is it again? Differentiating. differentiating. <laughs> this is going to be a funny podcast, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, okay, let's say we got that. What would you say kind of the next steps are? You know, where is that, that one other space that we could be spending time in that's going to bring significant value to the person that's in charge of marketing at the dealership? Once you've got the analytics in place, mm -hmm. got your brand story set up, um, one sort of next area to go into is not just measuring individual channels, but trying to find the next channel that works for you. There's always another channel, whether it's another vendor, whether it's another digital ad source, whether it's another, you know, another type of retargeting web video, there's always something else out there that could be effective. And if I was setting up marketing at a dealership, yep. there would be a certain amount of dollars at every month, maybe every quarter, because I know there's not a lot of time to set, set up new campaigns, a certain amount of money that I would want to put into a marketing source that I've never used before to see what happens. Not, yeah, that's great not idea. tens of thousands of dollars, just whatever a, a 
small to medium sized amount of money, depending on the size of the dealership that you can put into a channel that you've never used before that you can measure very specifically and see how it performs. Um, I think I, I annoy our sales guys a little bit when I say this, because I'm telling you that you should be spending money in other places besides car gurus, <laughs> but there, there's no one answer to where you should be investing. We talked about, I think, the consumer journey being so scattered. People use a million different ways of finding oh, information, tons. right? Different websites and different ways of shopping and people who are on mobile all the time are constantly getting interrupted and restarting. Um, so there, that creates breadth. There's, there's a lot of different ways that you can try to reach people. Um, and, and that includes non-digital too. I don't, you know, we focus on digital because that's what, that's our expertise, but it all doesn't, because we can measure it. It's measurable. And because you can measure it as well, yeah. but it does include interesting real world, um, you know, physical locations, um, different kinds of promotions, just experimentation. I think you do more of what works and spend money on things that you don't know yet to find other things that work, I guess is no, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think we need to be always be testing um, new strategies, uh, new channels. Um, but I also think we have to um, understand what our expectations. Our expectations kind of change. You know, you know, um, early digital marketing was about buying traffic. We were buying people to come to our space, right? That's kind of what it was about. But it's I've seen in the last couple of years, probably the last three years, it's kind of a fundamental shift. And in fact, even even in the way ad manager is now structured in their new interface and how we'll start with Facebook and Instagram and even YouTube's or Google's new ad manager, like uh, they're maintaining those KPIs, but they're wanting us to focus on new KPIs and engagement. It seems to be what these guys are really looking for now, because we know that, you know, we could present a 30 second video to someone and they may consume that content they may not convert on that, but that 30 second video was the aha moment. Oh, okay. Yeah. These guys are pretty cool. Okay. Now I'm going to make my drive in. You know, we can't limit our, our usage to certain channels just because of conversion. We got to go beyond conversion. Oh yeah. And, no, and we absolutely. have to look at engagement. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, and you're totally right. And that's, that's an area where it goes back to the analytics that you're using and, and the metrics and, some of the metrics that you use need to be about more than just, was this the source that gave me a sale? Yes. Like that's what a last click, what did they do right before they came in? That's important. You should absolutely measure that, but you're absolutely right. What else, what are people engaging with? How are people learning about your dealership? Um, there's a lot of sort of room there to add, um, add more metrics and look, look in more depth because it is absolutely true. There, Engagement time is so precious today. Mm -hmm. um, people's time it's, it's, is- It's the highest commodity, right? Yep. Right. It is. And you can't just spend your money on TV ads on the, the single biggest show and get everybody's eyeballs, right? That's not, that's not how it works anymore. It hasn't been for a long time. Um, so being able to look at those, those engagement metrics, and again, to your point before, if you can look at it by different audiences as well. Yes. And being able to engage with specific audiences and thinking about it that granularly is, is again, going to help you sort of refine your strategy and then execute better when, it, when, you're, when you're there. 100%. And it's key not to just look at the single channel, but how the, all the channels actually work together. I, I literally just got off a phone call um, on my way here with a dealership and they called me. And of course, they used my favorite words. Um, I feel 
like we should be doing more in Google. I'm like, <laughs> okay, fine. Um, you know, and, and, and the reason for that, the, the logic behind that is because they're looking at their conversion reports and they're seeing that that's where the, 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 there's more conversion and a lower cost of conversion happening. Right. And where their Facebook and their Instagram ads have a tremendous amount of engagement and consumption, mm-hmm. all right, what they don't realize is that it's more of a holistic approach, right? I mean, we know right. gurus, you know, plays a very important part of the consumer's buying cycle or path to purchase, but yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean they're the ones, that's that one little source, that one channel that converted someone over. Now, in some cases they are, right? But it's not always. It's, you know, so we have to look at our marketing as a holistic approach we can't just be moving things around based on what's converting better than others. We need right. to have a balance between um, conversion, action, and engagement. Because without the engagement, the action conversion goes down. Right. Right. No, it's, to- it's totally yeah. true. And that what, what that gets into is the uh, overused but important anyway idea of attribution that yes. goes beyond just last click attribution. I feel like, okay, again, I'm relatively new to the car industry. I've only been doing this for two years, and I am already tired of this conversation. I know. (laughs) Uh, Being able to do a better job of attribution, full full cycle attribution. Yes. So being able to, instead of saying, which which of my channels led to this particular sale? Stop stop thinking that way. Yeah. Instead, do it by channel. Look at, okay, so for channel one, how many of my sales interacted with that channel? Mm-hmm. How many of my sales interacted with channel two? You, the total, many, almost all of those people are going to interact with multiple channels, but you're going to see what's having a bigger impact than its sort of direct close conversion rate would, would be. Um, it's not easy. This is not an easy thing to do. And I understand that. And I, I don't think it is easy. I'm not trying to say that, but um, this was probably my other answer to what would you do next uh, in terms of once you've got your metrics in place and you've got some, some channels and a strategy, better attribution. And whether that is um, building something out, tying things together, using your CRM, if you can track multiple mm-hmm. touch points, or if it's investing in a, in a third party attribution system, um, you know, that's not, CarGurus doesn't sell attribution, but we certainly know there are, there are people out there who do that um, can work with most of the systems that you'd use today. And that's going to give you such a more complete picture of what people are really doing, where, where those engagements are, like you said. Um, not just what was the last link that somebody clicked before they came to your site. And, and, and guys, the reason that we're pushing this conversation, we're having this conversation is because when you get to that level, when you get to that stage, right? We've kind of, we've graduated from just at running ads to running a strategy, a real proper strategy based on data across multiple channels, okay, the every single penny, every single dollar that gets spent is going towards a very specific goal and objective. We have very little waste in yeah. ad spend when we get to that stage. That's the ideal state. I don't mm-hmm. know how many people are there yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's what we're going to keep. You're, you're going to be out there. Keep pushing people. I'm going to be out there. Keep pushing people out there. But, you know, uh, you know, Jeremy, thank you uh, so much for your time today. I think this was some great knowledge here. And this was I hope so much fun. I really appreciate it. Awesome takeaways. You know, uh, for, for anybody out there that would like to connect with you and maybe learn a little bit more about car gurus, what's the best way to do so? 
Sure. Um, you, I'll give you my email address. It's totally fine. It's jsacco, J-S-A-C-C-O at cargurus.com. Um, I am out there in the industry every now and then. I was at uh, Auto Remarketing Canada this year. And if I can give a small plug. Yes. Cargurus is going to have our first ever user conference this fall, Ooh. October 22nd, 23rd in Boston. Very cool. Uh, we're going to have hundreds of dealers uh, attending. We're going to have industry speakers, uh, workshops, breakout sessions, chance to talk to talk to car gurus as well as other other dealers. Um, and we will have a ton of this kind of information and new data and all kinds of stuff. So keep an eye out for more information on that. But uh, we're really looking forward to that. And it would be fun to have a, a good Canadian contingent there. That would be awesome. Yeah, well, uh, you know what? When this goes live, um, hopefully we got some links for that and we will make sure, sure those links get posted um, with this podcast. Again, again, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I had a blast jamming with you. You're welcome. This was great. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. We covered a bunch of great topics today. What stood out most to you? Be sure to let us know in the comment section below. And don't forget to like the post and share it to keep the conversation going. You can follow Jason on all social media platforms by following Strategy with Jason. You can find him pretty well everywhere you can share content. I hope we were able to get you thinking. And until the next time, have a great day.